Wij blikken vooruit op het concert van vrijdag 19 oktober met op het programma het Altvioolconcert van James Macmillan en de Zevende Symfonie van Anton Broekner. En dat doen we deze keer niet met Floris Don aan tafel. Wij laten James Macmillan aan het woord over zijn eigen Altvioolconcert en daarna vertelt Lahav Shani over de Zevende van Broekner. James Macmillan schreef zijn concert voor Altvioolist Lawrence Power die in januari 2014 de wereldpremière speelde met het London Philharmonic Orchestra onder leiding van Vladimir Jorowski. Bij gelegenheid van die première ging James Macmillan in gesprek met Gillian Moore, hoofd klassieke muziek van het Londense Southbank Center, over zijn nieuwe compositie. Opnamen daarvan waren eerder al te horen in een podcast van het London Philharmonic Orchestra. Fragmenten daarvan konden wij gebruiken en wij horen James Macmillan vertellen het eerste over het wezen van muziek, die in essentie abstract is, maar altijd al een link heeft gehad met het meer beelden en verhalende. Daarna gaat hij in op het genre, het soloconcert. En hij stelt daar de klassieke tegenstelling tussen het individu, vertegenwoordigd door de solist, tegenover de menigte, het orkest, tegenover iets wat hemzelf persoonlijk bezighoudt, de link met het symfonisch gedicht, wat ook het verhalende element binnenbrengt in de muziek. Daarna gaat hij in op wat de aanleiding voor hem was om dit concert te schrijven. Dat was het verzoek van Lawrence Power om een altvioolconcert te componeren. En de samenwerking in de rol van dirigent met Lawrence Power in het altvioolconcert van William Walton, dat een belangrijke inspiratiebron werd voor dit concert. Tot slot vertelt James McMillan over de opbouw van zijn altvioolconcert, dat de klassieke driedelige vorm snel, langzaam, snel aanhoudt, maar binnen de delen ook weer het contrast opzoekt, de tegenstelling. Het snelle deel wordt afgegaan door een langzame inleiding. In het langzame deel vinden we ook een snelle episode en ook het slotdeel, snel, heeft weer langzame elementen. music is the most abstract of the arts uh, and there's a great pride amongst musicians, composers and everyone else uh, associated with music um, that it is abstract, that at a fundamental level music communicates its beauties, its feelings, its um, message or whatever through sounds, organised sounds rather than uh, words and images and, and that's a curious thing in our time, in our culture which is so dominated by uh, the, the visual and the verbal um, and therefore you know, what, what is this mysterious thing that can, that can communicate one person to another uh, with this mysterious uh, art form you know, it's not words, it's not images but, it's, but yet we feel great power and beauty and emotion from this music, it's, the music kind of gets, gets into the crevices of the soul in, in, in a, a way that can be quite baffling to uh, our contemporary culture. Uh, having said all that, of course, uh, or nevertheless, uh, music has had this uh, tradition over the centuries of being able to form collaborations and partnerships with the other arts through opera, uh, through the setting of text, uh, through the, the painting of pictures for film and, and, and theatre. Um, so that there's, a, there's an ambiguity in the nature of music. It is, on one hand, the most abstract of the arts, but it, it's something that 
almost simultaneously sometimes can look beyond the purely, uh, its pure abstractions to something much more suggestive. The individual standing out against the crowd and, and sometimes a dialogue between individual and crowd. That's the way that we describe the concerto, not so much the form but the context. And that's what makes the concerto form in its traditional sense so inviting. Uh, listeners are drawn into the dialogue. But for me, I've always been fascinated by the, sometimes the potential interplay between the concerto form or format context and the symphonic poem. I've always been interested in, even in concerto forms, allowing the music to, to take, take the, the, the listener on a journey and even for them to paint their own pictures according to what they're hearing. Uh, so the symphonic poem, if it's not too uh, old-fashioned an idea, is something that uh, still appeals to me greatly, even when we're talking about the concerto. I've been waiting for years for someone to ask me to write this piece and uh, I, I was so delighted when that person turned out to be one of the great violists of the world, uh, Lawrence Power. And um, I suppose by, in way of preparing myself for, for the practical uh, demands, I worked quite closely with Lawrence a few years ago on the Walton Concerto. We, we performed it together in Bournemouth and uh, I suppose, I mean, that's a wonderful piece as well, I fell in love with the music, and it was a, it was a very useful may, way for me to see how, how the viola works in, in a practical sense, how you do balance it um, in modernity. Uh, one can look at, at the great works from the past, Sinfonia Concertante by Mozart being one uh, that springs to mind as a real beautiful piece, uh, which uh, I, I find it quite inescapable in a way. It can, that piece, and perhaps the Walton and some other things, floated uh, in my mind, in my consciousness, before I settled to work. But it's, it's always the challenge then is to put all that to one side and allow, uh, what, what, uh, allow, allow your own thoughts and ideas to develop. There, there is something about the classic form which is near perfection and uh, it, it's, it demands questions of the modern composer. How do we relate to tradition? Do we embrace it or ignore it? I, I'm more of a kind of embracing composer than the other. So I, I've always been interested in trying to allow the tradition, traditional forms, in this case traditional concerto form if you like, uh, to affect me and, and to run 
fluently through my own thoughts and to provide a kind of um, scaffolding for my ideas. It's, it's a, a form, fast, slow, fast, uh, which seems to work for me. But uh, I suppose in these three movements, uh, characterized or described as fast, slow, fast, there, there are um, elements of, of, of their opposite, so that the fast movement begins uh, quite reflectively. Uh, and so the energy of the first movement is offset right from the beginning by something much more cantabile and singing, uh, uh, emotional. Uh, and something similar happens in the last movement. Um, although it's generally quite an energetic movement, it kind of collapses in, in itself in, a, in an inner section which is all about introspection. Um, and, and the viola plays in a kind of a, a chamber ensemble with two violas from the orchestra and two cellos from the orchestra, which provide a kind of um, viol consort sound, and there's also a, a flute involved in that moment as well. But in the second movement, which is the, uh, the slow movement, if you like, it begins uh, rather aggressively. There's always something of, of the, the opposite essence in each movement, which allows me, I think, to, to dialogue between the, the different parameters in each case. James McMillan's Altfiel concert vervolgt ons programma met de zevende symfonie van Anton Bruckner, gedirigeerd door Lahaf Shani, die zelf een inleiding geeft, zittend achter de piano, over dit grote werk. Hij vertelt hoe het eerste deel ontstaat vanuit het zachtstingbare tremolo, hoe Bruckner in het tweede deel van de symfonie verwijst naar zijn eigen tedeum, maar ook een eerpatroon brengt aan Richard Wagner en hoe het laatste deel teruggrijpt op het allereerste begin van de symfonie, maar dan in een compleet andere sfeer. One of the things I love about the music is the atmosphere that you get. One talks often about the structure and how magnificent is the structure and so on. It's absolutely true, but it's also the world of Bruckner, the vision of Bruckner is something that when you listen to the symphony, the way it starts already, for example, the seventh symphony starts like this. like we have complete darkness but then just a little bit of light just to show that before something is, is actually starting the, the actual statement this kind of beginning is called in technical terms tremolo to tremble it is a technique that was used already in the baroque time many times usually in forte playing loud and becoming a dramatic effect and then throughout the years it changed and it got to this kind of subtlety until Bruckner actually used it very often. His last three symphonies begin like that. And when you have the whole violin section playing very soft, but repeating the same note over and over again, you get this kind of cloudy atmosphere at the beginning, which really gives you this kind of effect of just slowly getting into this world. It's a magnificent effect.
The Seventh Symphony was definitely his greatest success and brought a lot of attention to him after a lot of misery in Vienna. Actually, the same time, he also wrote his Te Deum, which he also quotes in the second movement. The Te Deum is actually a very positive piece which he wrote thanking God for getting him through the misery. In fact, in the same second movement, Bruckner is paying wonderful tribute to Wagner, his greatest idol, by adding a new section to the brass, a new section to the orchestra of Wagner tubas. And Wagner tuba is an instrument which Wagner is responsible for its development. It's like a horn with a deeper voice and Wagner used it in his opera many times whenever he wanted to picture a dark atmosphere, something very dark and very mysterious. Or as in the case of the Seventh Symphony, something more lamenting and deep, like a deep choir. And the first movement of the symphony doesn't include these instruments at all. And all of a sudden, the second movement starts with a wonderful chorale, only of the four Wagner's tubas and the contrabass tuba and the low strings. And it's really a lamenting kind of chorale. The reason for this darkness, for this lamenting expression is that Wagner was dying at the same time the symphony was written and that really touched Bruckner, obviously. There is a dispute about the end of the second movement, whether it's a cry out for the moment Wagner died. It's not really certain if it's true or if it, it really became a myth, but it's, I think, quite obvious that the whole movement, including the Wagner tubas and really giving them the spotlight, um, is already a wonderful tribute uh, for itself.
this wonderful structure at the end, way to go from the beginning to the end, that really is astonishing. For example, as I said before, it starts with this tremolo, only in the violins. Then comes the main voice underneath in the cello. This opening line, which is so calm and pastoral and so on in the first movement, in the last movement appears almost the same way. But this tremolo is now an octave higher. And this calm melody becomes It really shows you the connection between the movements and really gets from this very calm point into the second movement even more depth and lamentoso to the third movement, the scherzo, and to this rejoicement of the last movement. It's quite astonishing to go through the whole symphony. The seventh symphony of Anton Bruckner, voorafgegaan door het Alfiel Concert van James Macmillan. This week op het programma bij het Rotterdams Philharmonisch Orkest. Meer informatie daarover vindt u op onze website www.rpho.nl. Graag tot ziens bij het concert.